Please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Please give your attention to God's holy word. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal Zephon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took six hundred chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went with a high hand, but the Egyptians pursued after them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them by encamping by the sea beside pi Hahiroth before Baazaphon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, 
even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning, watch, the Lord looked onto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud, and troubled the host of the Egyptians, and took off their chariot wheels, that they drave them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Two chapters ago in Exodus, we heard how after the Lord's smiting of the firstborn children of the Egyptians, Pharaoh called in haste to Moses and Aaron that night, right, to go and take with them all that is theirs according to their original request. It says in chapter 12, verse 37, that the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses, either a place within Goshen or the land of Goshen itself, to Sukkoth. From Sukkoth, in chapter 13, they move and encamped in Etham, in the edge of the wilderness, now in chapter 14, they are instructed to turn and encamp by, before, Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baazephon, to encamp by the sea. Now, as to where each of these places are located with precision, uh, there is some speculation. However, even without knowing exactly where these places in that region, in the nearby ancient Egypt and the Red Sea are, we can tell at least two things. What the Lord was doing. He was intentionally leading them into a geographical trap. And the reason why, he tells them, to wait for Pharaoh. Verse 3, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Recall that the original explicit request in Exodus 3 and 5 to Pharaoh was to let the people go into the wilderness a three days journey to worship the Lord. In verse 5 of chapter 14, Pharaoh receives information that the children of Israel appear to have fled, facing the prospect of no longer having them as their slaves. Here then, it seems that Pharaoh perceives them, attempting to never return to Egypt, and so he prepares his chariots to the place where he has been informed of their encampment. Notice the perception of Pharaoh upon learning of the geographic trap that the children of Israel had gotten themselves into. They are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. From this we gather that the Lord in his wisdom, in leading his people in obedience, is pleased at times to make this the occasion of turning hearts against them and making them to look or appear in some great trouble, like they don't know what they're doing, as though they would altogether perish. However, the Lord made known to Moses and the people of Israel ahead of time that this should be the case. 
that this should occur so as not to be troubled, doubt, and worry. Likewise, he has made known to Jesus Christ, the prophet of the church, and in him to us the troubles which we should face following after him, his attending comfortable presence with which we should have, and the deliverance which he shall afford us in due time. These things I have spoken unto you, he says in John chapter 16, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The Lord says in verse 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts. Those whom he is not honored by, he will be honored upon, said one renowned commentator. God here would bring about a great work of deliverance for his people by manifesting his righteous judgment and power over their enemies. And note the language again of, I will harden Pharaoh's heart to make it clear that the king of the church does restrain and overcome all his and our enemies, as our catechism teaches us. The Lord would do such a work that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Consider the knowledge which the Lord should bring about by this great work of deliverance. Pharaoh, his army, and his host, and those in Egypt should know what it is to come up against the Lord. To know what it is to have his hand powerfully and mightily against them. And by this work, Egypt's neighbors will be stricken with terror and grow faint, their hearts melted. For we have heard, Rahab will say in Joshua 2.10, how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. The Lord would instill a fear in the Egyptians and their neighbors. But such knowledge and fear did not seem to profit Pharaoh. His army, Egypt, and their neighbors as it did Rahab, who will tell the Jewish spies in Joshua chapter 2, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto me in my father's house and give me a true token. Congregation, there are many that can tremble at the prospect of God's threatening, shake in their shoes, right, chattering in their teeth, And all of those signs, there are many that can fear the thought of God being against them, but never go beyond that. Never laying hold of the goodness of God and mercy behind it. Never hearing the warning so as to turn and repent, casting their entire trust and lives upon the Lord. Instead, there is a putting off of the time. A putting off of the threatening or or an active increased opposition to it as Pharaoh here until the day arrives. And the Lord's warnings are no longer impending, but they are executed. Those whom he is not honored by, he will be honored upon. Verse 5, the Egyptians complained to Pharaoh, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? Observe here the hardening and blindness of the people. As you read this, you might think, "Uh, Hello, you know, did you forget the ten plagues by which your people have greatly suffered? And seen a great loss as a result of not letting Israel go from serving you? Of your water turning to blood, abundance of frogs, lice, flies, right? Widespread sudden death of your livestock, blistering boils upon your bodies, sudden hail from the sky, killing anything living which it should fall upon, locusts which devoured every green thing, of sudden darkness for three days in the land, of the death of every firstborn in Egypt, 
Did you forget the haste at which you called Moses and Aaron to go and serve the Lord in the wilderness as originally requested? But this is what the Proverbs speak of. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. They do not learn. They do not improve. Oh, there may be a temporary relenting, right? Uh, But given opportunity, again, they persist on. And persist on, they will. Apart from the transforming grace and power of God to give them eyes to see and ears to hear, that they may truly understand. But apart from that, they continue on according to their own natures. As a dog to his vomit, as a fool to his folly, and that unto their own decimation. Pharaoh then makes ready his chariot, his people, and his military force with him in verse 6 through 7. 600 chosen chariots, and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. Pharaoh is ready to lead his people against Israel. It has often been noted a mark of great leadership in some ruler, right, that they lead their force and into the battle from the front lines, right? They don't stay back in some palace somewhere as their soldiers go somewhere else. Here, Pharaoh, however, is not to be commended in this regard. He seems. He may be in the front lines. He may be even leading from the front lines, but leading from the front lines to his and his people's destruction. The mark of a great leader and ruler is not their forwardness to lead the people to sin and to oppose God, their readiness to oppress. Rather, it is their readiness to put their lives on the line, to lead from the front lines in fighting for truth for justice, for the good of those under them, to risk their lives and their livelihood for them under them. We are told in verse 10 that when Pharaoh and his men were approaching whereby the people of Israel could behold them at a distance, the children of Israel became terrified and cried out unto the Lord, it says. Now, we we don't want to uh, fault them, right, for crying out to the Lord. Uh, as though there was something uh, amiss in them crying out to the Lord in of itself. But we do see that there's something amiss in their prayers. We get the sense of this by what immediately comes before and that which immediately follows. They were sore afraid, in verse 10 it says. They had left Egypt with a high hand and seen the deliverance of the Lord without opposition, the people of the Egyptians giving them many things to supply them for their trip into the wilderness, They had left without any violent battle or uprising, and their way out so far had been pretty smooth without any threatening. That is, until they are told by the Lord what is to occur. And when they lift up their eyes to see the Egyptians approaching, marching toward them, there perhaps is an element of despair mixed in their prayers here, and not a resting upon what the Lord has said what he would do. We see also something amiss in what they tell Moses in verse 11. Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? And so on. From their cries to the Lord, they complained to Moses with disbelief in what the Lord had said at the beginning of the chapter. They see Pharaoh's military might coming to get them. That is clear. That is certain. The Lord delivering, they don't see. That is not certain in their eyes. They might say, We had something more reliable in Egypt. We had tangible things. It wasn't the best, but it was something. And now it's lost. Now it's ruined. Our latter end is worse than the start. This is Moses and Aaron's fault. Notice how unbelief looks not at God, 
truly, not at his word and all the promises given to his church, but to all the secondary causes to blame for what appears to us to be a problem. That the Lord would increase our faith to see above what we can see with our eyes, to understand more than what headlines, scientific papers, doctors and reports tell us, to see the hand of our God in all of it. Amos 3, 6-7, through 7, Shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord hath not done it? Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. In verse 13, Moses, the Lord's prophet then, does not answer the people in kind, but directs them to quiet themselves and watch the Lord's salvation unfold before them. The Lord will deliver them, and they will not lift up a hand to defend themselves. It appears that as they stand still, Moses prays to the Lord, perhaps secretly, in his, in his own uh, within. For in verse 15, the Lord says, Wherefore Christ thou unto me? The point seems to be understood in such a fashion to move Moses into new activity. As the Lord should say, The time for crying out to me is done. Now direct the children of Israel to go forward while you lift up the rod over the sea and divide it. And from this we learn that devoted Set, uh, to devoted times of prayer and the duties of religion and service unto God are generally good and most important, but there are also times to cease, right, and give ourselves to action, to put feet to our prayers, to do and be about the business which the Lord has made known to us, even if we do not see the whole picture. So the Lord then reiterates to Moses what he should do and how he will cause the angel of God in verse 19 that was up to that point leading the camp of Israel to move behind the camp. Note this angel of God is called Jehovah in the previous chapter in verse 21. And it would not be inappropriate to understand this as a revelation of the Son of God himself. The angel and messenger of God in his covenant as Paul will say of Israel in 1 Corinthians 10, they did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Another reminder this afternoon, right, that the covenant which our Jewish fathers had was not of works, but of grace, whose mediator is Christ. The form which the people see of God the Son is a signal of his presence and protection, is that pillar of the cloud, a pillar that would create a buffer, keeping the Israelites away from the Egyptians attempting to reach them. The pillar of cloud would be darkness to the Egyptians, but light to the children of Israel. In verse 21, the Lord causes the sea to go back by a strong east wind, right? Separated, leaving a dry path between the divided waters to cross over on. The Egyptians follow in after, and the Lord causes them trouble, by which we are told some of them advise uh, each other to flee, acknowledging the Lord's hand and opposing them, upon which Moses is directed to stretch forth his hand again over the sea and that the waters should return as they were. And the people of Israel are made to cross over safely while the waters closed in upon the Egyptians and killed them. To conclude the chapter, we are told that Israel could see the dead Egyptians upon the seashore and that they were made to fear and believe that the Lord and his servant Moses this great army, which they trembled at and was the occasion of their doubting of God, his word, his providence, and his minister, was in a moment stopped, in a moment submerged, in a moment drowned, 
the sound of approaching armies with chariots and hoofbeats growing in volume and the alarm which such a sight and sound should present is now nowhere to be found. Only the sound perhaps of the water and the flapping of the waves with the dead army scattered about the seashore. Congregation, our times are in the hands of the Lord as we will sing shortly. The Lord knows how to deliver his people out of straits, troubles, and temptations. Do not allow your temptations to speak louder and more persistent to you and thereby more persuasive to you than your God. We may or may not see those straits and temptations removed before our eyes in the manner which Israel did that day. But it is just as certain. His word is just as sure. He is still faithful and still makes a way to escape in temptation that you may be able to bear it. And these things happen unto them for in samples, as we read in 1 Corinthians 10. And they are written for our admonition. That concludes our time together in Exodus chapter 14.